The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Greg Hans. Question one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the family and to the friends of Private Nathan Cuthbertson, Private Daniel Gamble, and Private David Murray of the Parachute Regiment, who were killed in Helmand Province, Afghanistan, on Sunday. The risks they bear and the sacrifices they have made are in our thoughts, not just today, but every day, and we owe them all a great debt of gratitude. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had a meeting with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Can I join the Prime Minister in offering condolences to the soldiers' families? Mr. Speaker, the, website, uh, the biography on the Prime Minister's website records no achievements in the past year, but it does boast, <laughs> but it does boast about his popularity as a schoolboy. We are told that he joined in every aspect of school life, quickly becoming popular. Given this Stalinist adulation from the past, can the Prime Minister explain why this week he has become Britain's least popular Prime Minister ever? Mr Speaker, I shall leave the schoolboy politics to him. On a day, on a day when we are debating national security, I would have thought he could have done better than this. Mr Speaker, uh, I'm sure the whole House would wish to be identified with the comments my right honourable friend made about the brave soldiers who lost their lives in Afghanistan. Would uh, my right honourable friend agree with me that the question of 42 days, up to 42 days detention for terrorist suspects is more a matter of practical necessity than high principle. Mr Speaker, it is a matter of necessity because of what the police and the security services have told us. And I am not... Mr Speaker, Speaker, every senior policeman and every senior member of the security services have told us... We're going to begin today by allowing the Prime Minister to speak. Allow the Prime Minister to speak. Uh, order. I've told the honourable gentleman before not to interrupt the proceedings, and I've told him he's, he's defied the chair often. He won't do it today. He'll be out of the chamber. <laughs> I, I would have thought there'd be agreement across the whole House that the first duty of a government is to protect the national security of our country. And I would be failing in my duty if I did not report to the House the advice of the police and security services. But I was going to go on to say I do not rely on that entirely. We have seen in the recent instances of cases that have come before us the amount, sophistication and complexity of evidence that has got to be assessed. And I refer the House to the airport case in 2006 when there were 400 computers, 8,000 CDs, 25,000 exhibits and that's why some of the people who were detained were detained for 27 days. And I have no doubt that the sophistication and complexity of the cases will require us to do more in future years. And that is not only the advice of the police, that is the judgment I make having to look at terrorist cases every week. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Private Cuthbertson, Private Gamble and Private Murray of Two Para, who were killed on Sunday, 
Every week, we quite rightly stand here and read out the names of those who have fallen, and we must remember every week that behind every name is a family and friends who are suffering from the loss of a loved one. The Prime Minister and I have both visited Afghanistan. We know that our soldiers are doing incredible work in difficult conditions on our behalf, and quite simply, they are the best of British. The Prime Minister, I'm sure, would also agree with me. It is clear why we're there, that if we go, the Taliban come back, the training camps come back, and there will be more terrorists on British streets. But after seven years of work in Afghanistan, can the Prime Minister today give us a frank and candid assessment, not just of where we are doing well, but where much, much more work needs to be done? I agree with what he says about both the contribution uh, of our troops and the bravery of all our uh, service uh, men, and, men and women who serve in Afghanistan in every theatre of the world. Uh, in, in Afghanistan, we are making progress in training the Afghan army, in training the police of Afghanistan, and in building economic and social development in the country, uh, which means that people in Afghanistan have a stake in the future. When the Afghan elections took place, 70% of registered voters voted. So Afghanistan became a democracy, and it was shown to be so by the elections. When, when the Taliban were in power, there were only 2 million children in education, none of them girls. Today there are 6 million children in education, and 2 million of these are girls. And that is a result of the changes that we're making. I agree with him that this is a long haul, but our duty is to stop the Taliban ever gaining power again and to stop al-Qaeda making inroads into Afghanistan. And that is why there are 43 countries that are part of the coalition in Afghanistan. I thank the Prime Minister for that answer. I've seen the work of training the Afghan army. It is fantastic, and I've seen some of the schools that have been built. But is there not a risk that while we are winning militarily in Afghanistan, we are losing at least parts of the country? Has he heard the reports that the security situation around Kabul is deteriorating, that corruption is paralyzing the work of the Afghan government? I'm even told that some of the roads that we have built are being used by the Taliban and other bandits to extort money from ordinary Afghans who are too terrified to use them. It's now six months since the Prime Minister made a full statement in the House about Afghanistan. Doesn't he agree with me that one of the lessons from Iraq is that it's only by being candid and frank and giving regular updates that we can take the British people with us in this vital task? Well, I'm very happy to give him regular updates of what's happening in Afghanistan, and the Secretary for Defence has just returned from being in Afghanistan and looking at the situation on the ground. Nobody is saying that the position in Afghanistan is easy. Uh, everybody knows that uh, in the spring that attacks by the Taliban start again. But last year, because of the action against drugs and heroin, the number of poppy-free provinces doubled to 13. We hope to this year to see more progress. So it is not a case of things going backward. It is a case of us seeing progress. And our strategy set out in December, which was the Afghanization of the army and the police force, with people being trained by British forces and other troops, and the police being trained by an operation led by the German uh, uh, police is actually gaining ground. And our aim is that Afghans take more and more responsibility for their own affairs. We are able to tackle corruption by opening up local as well as national government, and we invest, like in the dam project, in the economic and social development of Afghanistan. But I have to say to him, if he is doubting the reason for being there, the reason, okay, the, the reason for being there the reason for being there is we cannot allow the Taliban to get back into power and we cannot allow al-Qaeda to get a grip on the province. 
Speaker, I don't think there's a big level of disagreement. All I'm saying is this is the number one foreign policy yeah, priority, yeah. the number one national security priority, and we must make sure that everything the government does reminds the nation of that. Can I turn to the issue of the government's proposal um, to ask MPs to vote tonight on holding people for six weeks before they are charged? This is an enormous step to take, and we need the strongest possible evidence before the government should could take it. How can the Prime Minister think the case has really been made when his own Director of Public Prosecutions, the very man responsible for prosecuting terrorists, the man who carries the can if it doesn't happen, doesn't support the measure? Mr. Mr. Speaker, we have made a judgment after looking at all the evidence, including the evidence from the police and security services, that this is the right thing to do. I would not want to have to come to the House in a moment of an emergency and ask for extraordinary powers when we could, in a period of calmness, when we could, in a period of calmness, build in a process that will not give oxygen of publicity to terrorists when we have to take action. He said, Mr. Speaker, when it comes to national security, I will always listen to the police and security services and take their advice with the utmost seriousness. Now, Ken Jones, the head of ACPO, has made it very clear what the police uh, think about this. Hugh Ord, the Chief Constable of Northern Ireland, has made his position clear. Lord Stevens, the man that he listens to, he says, on police matters, says there really will be exceptional cases where the police service will need to go beyond 28 days, and he said that in the Times today. And I have to say to him that taking into account the advice of the police and security services, but also looking at the weight, complexity and sophistication of evidence that has got to be examined, it seems to me that in a moment of calm we should put in place this legislation, and I do not want, in a moment of panic, for people to have to come to the House and bring in emergency legislation. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister says he doesn't want to come to the House uh, in a moment of difficulty, but under the concession he's making, that's exactly what he's going to have to do. The Prime Minister would have, the Prime Minister would have a stronger argument if he had genuinely lined up if you like, a phalanx of the police, of the prosecutors and the security services in favour of this case. But he hasn't. Yes, there are a lot of police who support it, but there are a lot of police who don't. When it comes to the prosecuting authorities, they don't support it. And when it comes to the security service, they have not said that they have asked for this step. He hasn't made the case that it is necessary. And isn't there a danger that as well as being unnecessary, this is counterproductive? When you've got former Attorney Generals, soldiers who served against the IRA in Northern Ireland, all saying that this sort of measure could actually help the terrorists rather than hurt them, aren't we making a bad step? Isn't it clear the terrorists want to destroy our freedom, and when we trash our liberties, we do their work for them? Mr Speaker, the Chief Constable of Northern Ireland doesn't need lectures about taking on terrorism. What he said, sadly the day will come when 28 days will not be high enough, but we have to plan for it. And that is precisely what I'm saying to the House today. Our first duty is the protection of national security. We fail in our duty if we do not take preventative measures. I say in sorrow rather than anger, it is no use opposition for opposition's sake. We have to take no risk for security. This, this, this party... This party just doesn't need any reminders about the importance of fighting terrorism. That the first, the first member of parliament I ever wrote a speech for, Ian Gow, was murdered by the IRA. 
that the first Member of Parliament who ever represented me, Airy Neve, is commemorated above that door, murdered by the IRA. But we're not going to fight terrorism effectively if we undermine our liberties. Now, can I... Can we have a look? Can we have a look at one of the concessions the Prime Minister has made? He proposes parliamentary debate immediately following what could be an individual case. Can he tell us how on earth that is going to work? Won't members of Parliament have to want to ask the Home Secretary questions she can't answer without prejudicing a trial? Isn't it the case that in his attempt to save the totem of 42 days, he's made so many concessions that he's got an unworkable piece of legislation? Shouldn't every MP in this House be thinking, this is not about the future of the Prime Minister, this is about our liberties and they should vote with their consciences? Mr Speaker, it cannot be both draconian and absolutely useless in dealing with a problem. And I have to say to him, I have, uh, no, 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 I have to say, I have to say to him. Uh, order. 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 I don't know what's disturbing the Honourable Gentleman, but I will run the proceedings here. The Prime Minister. I just have to remind him that the former head of counter-terrorism has said that we will undoubtedly need this power. The former head of MI5, if 42 days is not adopted, regret it, we will. Lord Carlyle, the independent reviewer, my view is that the government is right to extend it beyond 28 days. And I have to also say to him, the Conservative website this morning, Conservative Home, the Conservative Party's website, a clear, the Conservative Party's members' website, a clear majority of the British people favour a longer detention period. We believe that the British people are right. They won't readily forgive any politicians who allow a major atrocity to occur because our detection procedures prove to be inadequate. He has got to answer also to members of his own party. I think that last bit is just so below the level of debate. Oh, order. Oh, order. The Leader of the Opposition. Order. If, if if the Prime Minister is saying, if the Prime Minister is saying that it is popular to announce that you're going to bang up terrorist suspects for longer without charging them, then yes, he's right. It is popular. But the point is we're meant to do what is right in this house. He says it's impossible to be draconian and incompetent at the same time, but isn't that exactly what the Prime Minister's achieved? We've got a symbolic assault on our liberty that's unnecessary. We've got a change in the law, which many people say, including the former Chief Inspector of Consabrary, is counterproductive. And we've got a procedure that is unworkable. Isn't the only way to describe what the Prime Minister is doing today is ineffective authoritarianism? When there isn't firm evidence in favour of extending detention in a free and democratic country, shouldn't a supposedly progressive Prime Minister come down on the side of liberty? Yeah. And, and we have, Mr Speaker, the protections built in for civil liberties in this bill are greater than any time when we've dealt with terrorist legislation. The Director of Public Prosecution has to approve the order. It has to become before Parliament with an independent legal opinion. The Chairman of the Human Rights Committee has got to be informed and the Chairman of Home Affairs Select Committee. An independent reviewer has got to look at all circumstances of the case. Parliament has got to vote on the issue and a judge has got to look at the case every seven days. Now, he knows perfectly well that the civil liberties protections that are put in this legislation are greater than ever before. And I do not like opposition for opposition's sake. We should be, Mr. Speaker, 
we should be we should be facing up to an issue of national security. I would like to have achieved a consensus above party politics. Because it has been impossible to do so, the government must make a judgment. And the judgment is not that it's popular, is that it's right and necessary for the security of our country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, my right honourable friend, I'm sure, will have been impressed by the incredible courage of Adrian Sudbury, who's using the last weeks of his life to campaign for more bone marrow donors to come forward. I've been impressed so far by the response of the Secretary of State for Schools and Health, but what more can my right honourable friend do to help my friend Adrian to achieve his legacy and help 7,000 people to live? Mr Speaker, I I too have met and seen the courage of uh, Mr Sudbury, uh, who is, uh, as my honourable friend says, using the last few weeks of his life to try to make people better aware about the the dangers that result from bone marrow donation not being available. The issue of promotion of the donation of blood, bone marrow and organ is is a priority for the Department of Health. We are looking at what we can do. The key issue is whether we can encourage people to be uh, donors, and I believe that in the next few months we can put forward proposals that will assist, if not uh, Mr Sudbury, uh, many people who suffer as a result of these illnesses. Nick Clegg. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Private Nathan Cuthbertson, Private Daniel Gamble, and Private David Murray. Mr. Speaker, does the Prime Minister accept that whether this House has seven days or 30 days to approve the extension of the period of detention without charge? It's not possible to provide us with sufficient evidence and information to make that judgment without either making covert intelligence public or jeopardising the legal case against a terrorist suspect. The, the, The purpose of coming before the House is for the Home Secretary to advise the House that in her view there is an exceptional uh, terrorist uh, threat, a grave terrorist threat that has occurred or is occurring, that the need for action has been urgent, but it has not been possible to assemble the necessary evidence to lay charges within the 28 days. It will be for the House to vote on the commencement order that agrees that an exceptional incident, a terrorist incident, has occurred. It is not the business of the House to interfere in the individual case, simply to be able to vote on whether an exceptional and grave terrorist threat has occurred. And I would hope that given that he is, uh, and others have used the Civil Contingencies Act uh, when they have been talking about this, uh, this issue, uh, this is exactly the same problem that would be faced in the Civil Contingencies Act. Everyone knows that his proposal will not become law. It will be blocked in the other place. The Equality and Human Rights, the Equality and Human Rights Commission will challenge it in court and the European Court of Human Rights will declare it illegal. So why on earth is the Prime Minister playing politics with our liberties for a bill which no one thinks is necessary, no one thinks will work in practice, and everyone knows will never reach the statute book? Mr Speaker, when he says no one thinks it's necessary, has he looked at what police chief constables have said? Has he looked at the statements that have been made by those people who have dealt with terrorism? It is quite wrong to say that no one thinks it is necessary. Indeed, there was a Liberal Democratic candidate in Bristol who did a survey of all his constituents. 74% well, 74% said they were in favour, and they said that the complexity of potential terrorist threat means that the police will need additional time. Mr Speaker, 
It is not only popular, it is also necessary and right. And there are many people who disagree with him profoundly. Tim Sheridan. Mr Speaker, can my right honourable friend assure the House that the proposed 42 detention orders will apply only to those who wish to bring terror to the streets and will not impact in any way the, 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 the human rights and the civil liberties of decent, hard-working British families? They will not have police posted outside their houses in riot gear. They will not have their villages or communities the communities blockaded as what happened during the minor strike and perhaps colleagues and comrades in this site will reflect on that will reflect on that when they put a house it is absolutely right that this is restricted not just to a terrorist threat but to an exceptional and grave terrorist threat it is stated clearly in the bill it is a reserve power it is only up to 42 days under the most extreme of circumstances and I repeat to the House that the protections for civil liberties that are built into this bill that require the Home Secretary to act and not to have arbitrary treatment are the greatest that we have seen when dealing with terrorist threats. And I believe we have managed to combine the need to take action that is preventative action in case there is a terrorist threat to our country with the protection of civil liberties against arbitrary treatment. And that is what we will continue to do. Uh, the Prime Minister might not have had an opportunity to see Monday evening's documentary entitled Gordon Brown, Where Did It All Go Wrong? Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I don't know why Labour MPs are complaining. Half the Cabinet were happy to appear on it, <laughs> including the Chancellor who made clear that from last summer he knew that millions would lose out because of the abolition of the 10p rate of income tax. Given that... Why did the Prime Minister consistently deny that there would be any losers from his tax reform package? Yeah. Mr Speaker, 22 million people have benefited from the tax cut that we have just announced. In the budget of 2008, three billion extra pounds of money went to the poorest sections of our community. And I don't think this House is going to listen to Conservative members who have not even made a commitment to the abolition of child poverty lecturing us about what's done for the low paid in this country. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the House will join me in National Carers Week in my, admira my admiration for the six million unsung heroes who are looking after their loved ones and in thanks for the £225 million of extra government money announced yesterday. But as life expectancy is increasing, carers are retiring and still looking after their parents. Will the Prime Minister please tell me what extra measures he has in place and will have in place for these elderly carers. Mr Speaker, I was proud to host a reception yesterday for National uh, Carers uh, Week uh, and to see the publication by the Minister for Social Care of our new carer strategy. There are six million people in our country who are giving off their time to care for relatives, friends or neighbours and they do so in a caring and compassionate way which makes us proud of the whole people of Britain. Uh, and as part of National Carers Week, we have issued our National Carers Strategy. That will provide additional money for breaks for carers, respite care, for carers to re-enter the job market if they have been carers in the past, and support for young carers. And we are looking at the carers grant and looking at what we can do uh, for carers in retirement. And we will report back later to the House on these matters. James Clarkson. 
If the Irish people have been permitted a referendum, why can't the British people be permitted one? After all, after all, the benches opposite and the Prime Minister in the last general election stood on a manifesto which promised to put the constitutional treaty to the British people in a referendum. Mr Speaker, there are 27 countries in the European Union. Only one requires under the Constitution that every item of constitutional change is put before a referendum. There were nine countries proposing a referendum. The treaty was changed. It is not a fundamental change in the constitutional arrangement. And that is why the right place to debate was was the many days we had in the House of Commons when the government's proposals won the vote. John Butler. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Knife crime, mental illness, youth activities are just some of the issues being debated on mylifemysay.co.uk, an online discussion forum for young people. These young people will be coming into Parliament to discuss these measures uh, in front of ministers and MPs. Will my right honourable friend help this discussion by informing these young people where the money came from for free swimming and whether there will be further funds available for other activities? Mr. Mr. Speaker, it is because of our success in running the economy we've been able to provide additional money for public services. But I have to say also that as we look to provide youth centres in constituencies in this country, uh, we are looking at the dormant accounts uh, in the bank accounts of building societies. We are talking to the banks about this. We believe there are substantial funds that should be made available. And just as we have transformed the care of the under fives in the last 10 years, we want to use these funds to transform youth facilities in every constituency of the country. Michael Hub. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I give the Prime Minister a third opportunity to answer a fundamental question which she has so far twice conspicuously failed to answer? Can he explain? Order. Let the Right Honourable Gentleman speak. Right Honourable Gentleman. Can he explain? The, how uh, order. I, thought, I said let the Right Honourable Gentleman speak. You shouldn't be putting his tuppen, Tuppensworth in. The Right Honourable Gentleman. Can he explain how this House could debate and vote upon the detention without charge of a person for up to six weeks without prejudicing any subsequent trial of that person. Mr Mr. Speaker, he he knows a lot about not answering questions. (laughs) Mr Speaker, I I can say to him that he has misunderstood the legislation. The legislation requires the Home Secretary to bring before the House a statement showing that there is an exceptional and grave terrorist threat that the need for action is urgent, and she asks the House to support her in the action she has taken. It is not to discuss the individual detainees. That would be wrong. It is like the Civil Contingencies Act to get the House to approve that these special measures are needed. That is what the purpose of the debate is, and that is the right way of proceeding. Mark Henry. Would my uh, right honourable friend join me in paying tribute to the University of Central Lancashire, which has grown from being the institution for the diffusion of knowledge in 1828 to becoming one of the largest universities in the UK, providing education and skills for over 21,000 students, 2,500 students which are in mainland China. I'm proud that the universities in our country are both growing in number and the number of students in our country can grow as a result of the proposals uh, from the Secretary for Universities. 
uh, the University of Central Lancashire with 21 students is another university that is giving opportunities that young people never had before. I hope we will be able to announce 20 more university campuses so that every major town and city in this university is properly served by higher education. Paul Bostall. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 342,000 older people in this country are the victims of abuse every year. That includes crimes like intimidation, theft and assault. Tens of thousands of older people with dementia in this country are routinely prescribed unlicensed drugs which keep them sedated and cut their lives short. Will the Prime Minister take action to close the loopholes in the law, which means the victims go unprotected and the perpetrators go unpunished? And will he meet me in a delegation to discuss what else needs to be done to tackle elder abuse? I I, I will be uh, prepared to talk to him about uh, this uh, matter. I have to say to him that we are about to propose a a National Health Service constitution. Our aim is to guarantee rights to every uh, person who is a patient of the National Health Service. And I believe whatever he is revealing about what happens to elderly people can be dealt with as part of the rights in that constitution. But then, Mr Speaker, in the last 24 hours, uh, my right honourable friend may know that a number of papers in Birmingham and elsewhere have been suggesting that the national challenge announced by my right honourable friend, the Secretary for Schools, Children and Families, will be threatening hundreds of schools with closure, including 27 in Birmingham. Would my right honourable friend confirm that that is certainly not the intention of the plan, but rather it is to work with teachers, with parents, who are already in most cases making huge efforts to improve and do the right thing by children and raise standards. In other words, the intention is to avoid closures, not to do the opposite. He's absolutely right. The national challenge is to raise every school to a higher standard in this country, and particularly to deal with these schools that are failing schools, to make sure that their results are better and whatever action needs to be taken in terms of replacing head teachers or improving the service is what is part of the national challenge. And I can also tell him uh, that for his area and other areas, more money is being injected into the school system to make possible this increase in standards. We want every school pupil in this country to get the best possible education. It's forecast that the Treasury is set to secure a windfall of anything between £4 billion and £6 billion because of the increased price of a barrel of North Sea oil. Yet Scotland has secured absolutely nothing as a benefit because of this. Norway's oil fund is now worth some £186 billion. Even Alberta, non-independent Alberta, has an oil fund of £8.8 billion. Surely with this windfall, it's time for a Scottish oil fund. And if the Prime Minister continues to say no to Scotland on this issue, the Scottish people will say no to him and goodbye to some of his backbenchers. Mr Speaker, we are one United Kingdom and we share the risks, the rewards and the resources throughout the United Kingdom. And it's because we have one United Kingdom that Scotland has 200,000 more jobs than it had in 1997 and Scotland has never been better off as a result of a Labour government. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's the Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.